streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before the Lord? Tommy Tenney, a pastor in the U.S., he wrote these words. Lord Jesus, my soul aches at the mere mention of your name. My heart leaps for every rumor of your coming and each possibility that you will manifest your presence. I'm not satisfied with mere spiritual dainties. I'm ravenously hungry for you in your fullness. I'm desperate to feast on the, fre- the bread of your presence and quench my thirst with the wine of your spirit. St. Augustine wrote these words, You made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Each of these writings portray a longing for the Lord and a recognition that satisfaction is found in Him. The spirit of these writers' words grows from the understanding that nothing else but God will bring an end to the restlessness of their hearts. And all throughout church history, there's similar writings from men and women whose words reflect the same deep longing for the things of God and the desire to be satisfied in His presence. And such writings often help and encourage other saints to grow in their longing for the Lord and set our affections on Him who will ultimately satisfy our souls. I've entitled this morning's sermon, A Deep Longing for the Lord. And through David's words in Psalm 63, I want to reflect on the importance of our affections for the Lord this morning and how David stirs up his affections for the Lord. Because I believe the life of a follower of Jesus flourishes best when our love and desire for our Heavenly Father runs incredibly deep in our lives. My life has been absolutely transformed by Jesus Christ in miraculous ways. If you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, your life has been transformed by him in miraculous ways. Yet I long for my life to be continually transformed by him. I want my heart to be continually growing fonder of him, my ways to continually reflect him more, my mind to continually grow in the knowledge and the fear of him, all for the sake of his glory, all for the sake of my good and the good of those around me who God has placed in my life. And I believe it's the same for every person here who knows Jesus. In the depth of our affection of the Lord, It will be impacted by such things that we just read. I I, I long to see the presence of the Lord manifest so strongly in my life. But if you're like me, I often find that my affections for him run far too shallow at times. It's much too easily drawn to lesser things. And I need my longing for him to be stirred up and refocused consistently. And it's by looking at writings like what we just looked at in scriptures like Psalm 63 that Kate read for us that helps grow our affections for the Lord and increase our longing for his presence. And so as we go through Psalm 63 this morning, that's my goal. 
And I'll say right off the bat that this may not be the most cohesive sermon I've ever written or ever preached. But I'm not really concerned with that this morning. I just want to lay thoughts before us that we can pick up and we can grasp hold of that will hopefully help our hearts lay hold of God. My, my hope this morning is to take each one of us, whether you're in a, a dry season with the Lord, maybe you're in a, an excellent season with the Lord, and I just want to light some embers in our hearts this morning, hopefully through the power of the Spirit that He would, he would fan into flame and this unquenchable fire for Him. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that if, as we look at your word, as we speak of your word, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. God, that's why we're here. Father, would you fan into flame deeper affections for you? I pray for the, the man or woman here this morning that's just barely dragged themselves through the door, that's struggling, that's struggling to call unto your name right now. Lord, would you fan into flame their affections for you? For the one who's having just a a beautiful season with you right now, Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen them further. For all of us, Father, build our longing for you through your spirit. May we desire your presence above all else for the sake of ourselves and the sake of those around us, for those who don't know you and to the glory of your name. Do a mighty work in our hearts, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the words of Psalm 63, they were written by King David. And he wrote this psalm while he was in the wilderness of Judah, as it says. And he wrote this uh, after he had fleed from Absalom. So the background of why David was in the wilderness is found in 2 Samuel 15. If you want to read that, it it tells the story of Absalom's rebellion. And if you don't know, Absalom is actually David's son. And, And he conspired against his father to take over his throne in Jerusalem. And so David is writing Psalm 63 sometime after fleeing the city while he was hiding from his son in the wilderness. And and the result is, I would say, one of the most intimate psalms written by David with this rich reflection of his love for the Lord. Before we look at the psalm, I just want to read 2 Samuel 15 verse 30 because it's a really helpful verse in the story of Absalom's rebellion that gives us context for David's emotional uh, situation that he was in and kind of what he was feeling as he fled to the wilderness. As David is leaving the city of Jerusalem, 15 verse 30 says, but David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and they went up, weeping as they went. And so, David's devastation is apparent. He is in deep sorrow. And it would be understandable to conclude that David is weeping for the loss of his kingdom. He's weeping over the pain of his son's rebellion and the end of all that he enjoyed as king. And I guarantee that those things factored into uh, his sadness. But when we look at Psalm 63, written shortly after this, it reveals to us that there was Also, this deeper sadness, this deeper longing in David that consumed him more than the loss of his kingdom and and his mourning over his son's actions. 
You would think that after something like this happened, David may write a psalm of lament. We see those all over the book of Psalms. One of his precatory psalms that he writes where David asks God to destroy his enemies, right? Where he's focused on God's justice, asking to be vindicated for the wrong done against him. But instead, Psalm 63 is wholeheartedly filled with a concern for his closeness and fellowship with the Lord. And so let's look at Psalm 63 together. Verse 1, it says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So David begins with what is the most important thing. David is going through a very difficult time, but he understands that whether on a mountaintop or in a valley, God is still God. And not only does he acknowledge him as such, but he declares him to be his God. He's not some distant deity. He is a personal God. And David makes sure to recognize this fact first. Our posture toward God will flow from our understanding of his relationship to us. For the follower of Jesus, he is ours and we are his through Jesus Christ. We have this privilege of echoing David's words. Oh God, you are my God. You are my Father. You are my Lord. Knowing this and understanding this is so important to how we approach Him and desire His presence. In the high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, May they, his disciples, he's talking about us, also be in us. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 5, we are adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to God's good pleasure. Jesus calls us a little flock in Luke 12, 32. and says, it's our father's pleasure to give us the kingdom. Understanding God as our father, as our person, as our close personal Lord, will impact positively our desire for Him. It's so important to understand your standing before the Lord in Jesus Christ. And I would pray that the Holy Spirit would give all of us a fresh understanding of the personal relationship we have with our Father in Heaven. Because this alone, this fact alone, when properly understood and reflected on, is a a catalyst to fan the flames of our desire for the Lord. Like You just have to think about it. The, The God who spoke everything into existence, The God who in seven days built all that we see. The God who is over all and sovereign is also the God who you get to call Father. Like That is incredible when you just sit there and meditate on that truth alone. And that just stirs up our affections for the Lord. Just take some time today when you go home and just think about who your Heavenly Father is. Oh my. It's amazing. Next, David says, earnestly, I seek you. We must first understand the personal nature of a relationship with him. And then we must actively and earnestly seek him. For those of you who were here last week, on, uh, I talked about the responsibility of husbands to earnestly pursue and know their wives. It's the same thing with God, only to a greater degree. Like relationships take work. 
Right? It's, it's no different in our relationship with God. And I'll tell you, there's, there's an element of discipline that is required in our lives to pursue him as we should. Just like in our relationship, in any relationship, like, are you always in the mood to pursue your wife or husband? No. Are you always in the mood when your kids ask to play with them? No. <laughs> but, if, but again, all the parents live here. But a good spouse, right? A good parent. We understand that we still pursue at times when we don't necessarily feel it. We still pursue at times that we don't necessarily want to because we know that it's beneficial. Will we always feel like pursuing God? No. No, we won't. We will not always be on mountaintops. As followers of Christ, we will be in valleys as well. But there's an element to the Christian life of discipline that, that can sometimes mean doing things in our flesh that in our flesh we don't want to do, we don't desire to do. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9.27. He talks about disciplining his body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. And I think that is something that is foreign to too many followers of Jesus. I would say that there's far too much carnality in Christianity that ultimately hinders our longing for God. And what I mean by this is we will not always want to read our Bibles. We will not always want to pray. We will not always want to meditate on Scripture. We will not always want to worship, but it does not mean that we only do those things when we desire them. If you live that way as a Christian, you will rarely pick up your Bible. Because sin clings closely and our flesh draws us away from God. Like an athlete disciplining his body, we train our mind and our heart by doing what we should do, even when the affections and the desires aren't there or are weakened. And just like an athlete's muscles grow through training, so too will our affections for the Lord grow through our discipline, even in dry seasons. There's far too many weak Christians because We're living a carnal lifestyle following our desires and our feelings the way that the world does. Living this way, saying, well, I I don't feel like doing that, so I'm not going to. I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to. That's not how we're called to live as followers of Christ. To earnestly seek means to pursue with a sincere and intense conviction. I think sometimes we just need to be reminded of who this God is that we're pursuing. Sometimes familiarity just just breeds this kind of ah, reality in our hearts. But we need to be reminded like it's the God of the universe whom we are seeking. It's the God of the heavens who we get to have a relationship with. That we should be pursuing him with all the zeal that we can muster. That we can become amazingly flippant sometimes in our approach to God. And we need to remember it takes discipline to bring our flesh into submission at times. And he is so worthy of our effort. 
And he said that when we draw near to him, when we seek him honestly, he will draw near to us. He's told us that. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so some of you in here, you just need to hear this morning, press on. Press on. Press into him. And he will respond to you. David continues, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in dry and weary land where there is no water. And so the next thing that we have to understand is God is the one and the only one who sustains us, who nourishes us, and in him is all that we need. Like, I'm not, I'm not telling you anything new this morning. You know all of this stuff. I'm just hoping to put it before your eyes as a refresh and go, yeah, that's, that's true. And that builds up my affections for God. You know this stuff. We just have to be reminded of it sometimes. We need to be reminded that God is the one and the only one who sustains us, the only one who nourishes us, and in Him is all that we need. I need to be reminded of that all the time. God is all I need, or else I start looking other places. I put a weight on Kate that's not fair to Kate. We're all the same. God is to our souls what water is to our physical bodies. David is yearning. For fellowship with the Lord like one who thirsts for water after days in the desert because he understands his need of him. David is saying, God, I miss you. And I have an urgent need for you to sustain because I cannot live without you. Not having your presence is like I'm in a desert and I'm missing the one thing that keeps me alive. I need you to fill my water canister so that I can survive. Our desire and longing for God will grow when we understand the great need that we have of Him. That great need for God, it never goes away. The recognition of this this need can sometimes be hindered, I think, in our culture where we feel really insulated on a daily basis. Right? Like, let's let's be honest, we feel pretty secure. And we feel pretty self-sufficient in supplying our own daily bread here in Canada. Like we're, we're, we don't feel like we're in a position where we're crying out to the Lord. We have to cry out to the Lord just to make it through a day. In other places, that's what they do. That's what they have to do. Every day, every week, they need to cry out to the Lord in order to just stay alive. There's this more urgent need that's right in front of their eyes. And, and unfortunately, one of the negative aspects of feeling so insulated and secure in our culture is we lose our sense of urgency for the Lord. But if we rightly understood, though, though our physical needs may not seem as urgent, he's supplying everything still. Even if we don't recognize the urgency of our physical needs, our spiritual needs are as urgent as anybody else. And when we truly understand just how much we need the Lord, we will pursue Him. We will long for Him. When we realize each one of us is marred, completely marred by our sinful condition, and God is the only one that can change that condition. That he made a plan for us and through Jesus Christ we can be set free. And that it is he, the only one who sustains us in our faith by his power, not ours. Then we recognize just how dependent we are on God. For all of life, every aspect. Psalm 63 verse 2. 
David says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. You know what this means? I, I think what David's saying here is that we, we must acknowledge and we must remember God's work in our lives. He's saying, I, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power. I've beheld your glory. I remember these things, God. We must acknowledge and remember God's work in our lives. We require times of reflection because we can so quickly forget what the Lord has done for us. David's longing for the Lord is is made all the more intense by the fact that he has seen him work in his midst. He remembers what the Lord has done for him. He says, God, I've seen your power. I've seen your glory when I've been in the sanctuary and he has a desire to witness it again. His search for God arises from his past experience and enjoyment of God's goodness. We should reflect on God's past graces and that will grow in us a desire to see him work through our lives, his power and his glory to be seen again. This does not mean that we're constantly chasing a mountaintop. That's not not what I'm talking about. I'm not going like hyper charismatic here on you, okay? Don't freak out. I'm saying you should have an expectation and a desire to see God work through your life. Like for me, God's word, I believe, and God's spirit is sufficient for sanctification. And God accomplishes all that he needs in my life through those things. But at the same time, I so desire to see God do a miracle in a moment and change someone's life. Like we should desire God's presence in both aspects as followers of Jesus. The beautiful reality of sanctification, this step-by-step walk that we have with the Lord that's making us more like Christ as he performs these subtle workings in our life at all times. And we should desire to see these miracle moments that cause us to just stop in our tracks and go, wow, that is my God. We should long for both. David longs for these things because he's seen them. He remembers. I've seen them. I remember. I long for them again, oh God. Not just because we want to see something cool, but because it's a recognition of how glorious he is. Verse 3 and 4, he says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. We look back on what he has done and and what we see is his steadfast love. That's what will be revealed to us as we reflect on his faithfulness. Just how much he loves us. And we must praise him for it. And live a life of thankfulness because that's the only appropriate response when you see what God has done for you clearly. One of the ways that we do that is what we're doing here this morning. Right? Like we gather for the glory of God. That's why we're here. We sing as a form of praise to Him. I, I preach as an offering to the Lord and hopefully you listen and respond to what you hear to the glory of God. 
Right? Like, I've said this before, and I will always say it as long as I'm a pastor. Like, if you come to church on a Sunday to be entertained, then you've lost the meaning of what we're doing here. That is not the point of it. Don't come here to be entertained. Don't come here because Blair's an excellent guitarist and singer. Don't come here because you like listening to me talk. We're not here for that. The worship team is not here for that. We are here to lead you into the presence of God and praise Him and give Him glory. That's why we're here. We don't gather as though we're going to the movies. You're not sitting passively in your seats right now hoping for a good show and a laugh. That is why we are called a congregation and not an audience. Because the word congregation presumes there's a gathering of people with the intention that we are going to act and we are going to obey. If this ever becomes an hour-long gathering with absolutely no implications on your life outside of these doors, then we have so poorly missed the point. (laughs) And we should stop gathering together. And so I want to encourage you this morning. When we gather here, we all have a part to play. You may not realize it, but you do. I told you last week, I think it was, like when I came into this place last week, I was just feeling heavy. And and the sole reality of God's people singing out to Him just lifted my spirit. We're a body that encourages one another, that works together. We all have a part to play. So when when you're here, sing to the Lord. Praise Him. Lift up your voices. You have a crappy voice. Oh, well, the person beside you may not love it, but God does. They'll get over it. Like I, I so desire to be a church that is so hungry for the glory and the praise of God. Because when we're quick to praise Him, when we're quick to give Him glory, it means that our eyes are off of us and on Him. And that's when we really become the church. That's when God is really able to work through us. That's when lives really change in here and outside of here. And I'll tell you, God doesn't command us to praise Him because He needs it. God commands us to praise Him because we need it. Every single one of us. A church that overflows with praise and worship is a church that understands how amazing God is. And that's what we see David doing. He says, my praise will continue as long as I live. We have this covenant relationship with God. If you're a believer in Jesus, God has made a covenant with you that your relationship will never cease and His love for you will never stop. We have a whole life here and in the future to praise Him. And as followers of Jesus, that should just stir our hearts up. Oh God, I'm so excited. Not just now, but in eternity that we just get to go and praise you in eternity. Come on. How amazing will that be? David understands this. David also understands that even if a life is filled with hardship, remember what he was going through in the midst of this. He's in the valley. His son just rebelled against him, his own son. And still he remembers, even if life is filled with hardship, God is worthy of praise. David says, I lift my hands in God's name. So for me, practically, this can mean a couple different things. 
David may be referring to literally lifting his hand in praise to God, like some do during worship. That's probably what that means. We've seen David dance around naked before the Lord. He wasn't worried about lifting his hands, right? But it can also mean that whatever he lifts his hands to. Whatever his hands touch, whether at work or at home, alone or with others, he lifts his hands to the glory of God, all to the praise of his name. Verse 5 and 6, David says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. He's not talking about our potluck. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. David's saying when he thinks about God, he is as satisfied as eating the best and richest foods that we can imagine. Our thoughts of God should be so nourishing. It's as though, I don't even know why I wrote this. I literally wrote, it's as though we're Popeye when he just ate a package of spinach. (laughs) It's actually what I wrote kind of ashamed of that some of you have no idea who that is I barely know who it is I have parents who know who it is that's so weird in Old Testament practice the watches of the night when men would take turns guarding camp or guarding the walls of the city they would divide it into three watches that would be four hours each and, and so David's saying while he's up and while he's covering his watch, his thoughts are on the Lord. It's his thoughts of the Lord that are sustaining him. He's, he's meditating on God while he's facing the adversity of the night. It, 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 it paints this picture of just thinking about God at all times in every situation, knowing that the Lord is with us. And last, David says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. When I read verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. What that is there is, that's an acknowledgement that David is helpless apart from the Lord. You know, there's a great comfort that comes from knowing that we're helpless apart from God. That it's God who has to accomplish what we need in our life through the power of his spirit. David alludes to a a joy that's found under the shadow of God's wings. This illustration reminds of the, the great comfort found as a child in the arms of a parent. The comfort found in the night when the the fear of what it is under the bed is is crushed by mom and dad walking in the room. There's this unexplainable joy found in fully surrendering to the Lord and knowing that we are under the shadow of his wings, that we are so incredibly safe in him, that he is everything that we need and he gives all that we require. We don't have to try to hold everything together ourselves. Our Father is infinitely capable. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, I pray your blessing over each person in here. I pray a blessing that, that every single one of them, if they are in Christ, they understand what their relationship to you is. That you are Father. That, like Jesus, we can call you Abba. This, this, this incredibly intimate word. That you care for us so deeply. Lord, I ask that through the power of your spirit, that truth would take root in our hearts, that we would know that, oh God, you are my God. Father, I pray that you would stir up our longing for you. Lord, please, may we be a people that is just so overcome by our desires for you. Because we know who we are, you are. We know how amazing you are. Lord, would you stir those affections up by the power of your spirit? Father, may we meditate on your word to grow our affections. And Father, we, we want to long for you, not just for ourselves, but for those around us, for the sake of this world. Father, I, I think about couple weeks ago when we when we talked about how your people longed for your blessing so that it could go out and Lord it's the same with this deepen our affections for you, deepen our longing for you, deepen our desire for your presence for the sake of those around us not just for ourselves oh Lord may we be satisfied in you so that we don't have to search so we don't long for other things that are not worth it. Father, I pray for those in here that don't know you, that don't have a personal relationship with you. Would you open their eyes? Would you soften their heart to know that you are all that they need? That that restlessness, that, that longing that they feel is satisfied in Jesus. And Lord, may they call unto you. We give you praise for who you are, Father.